good morning. Good to see all of you this morning. Glad you're here. The Lord is glad you're here. If you are one of our guests, uh, we're especially glad you're here, and we hope you will stick around after services. Let us get to know you, and you get to know us just a bit better. We are beginning a new sermon series uh, this morning. It is entitled Amazing Grace, just as we sang a moment ago. And for these lessons, we are going to be in Luke 15. If you want to grab your Bible, turn to Luke 15. Uh, for the next uh, few weeks, we will be camped here in Luke 15. Very interesting to preach a, a sermon series about grace from a chapter of the Bible where the word does not appear. The word grace doesn't appear in Luke 15. And yet, I do believe that the idea, the concept, the doctrine of grace is woven all throughout every verse of this chapter. Luke 15, we will be looking at verses 1 through 7 this morning. Let us read our text as we begin. Hear now the words of the true and living God. Now the tax collectors and sinners were drawing near to him, and the Pharisees and the scribes grumbled, saying, This man receives sinners and eats with them. So he told them this parable. What man of you, having a hundred sheep, if he has lost one of them, does not leave the ninety-nine in the open country and go after the one that is lost until he finds it? And when he has found it, he lays it on his shoulders, rejoicing. And when he comes home, he calls together his friends and his neighbors, saying to them, Rejoice with me, for I have found my sheep that was lost. Just so, I tell you, there will be more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents than over ninety-nine righteous persons who need no repentance. Let us pray. Gracious Father, as we turn our attention to the teaching ministry of your Son, our Lord Jesus Christ, we pray that we would see clearly what Jesus is teaching us about you. May it impact our hearts so that we may turn around and, in imitation of you, share your grace with others. We pray through Christ our Lord. Amen. You ever lose anything? <laughs> Misplace uh, your keys, your wallet, uh, your car at the store, right? You ever lose anything? Uh, the Lord knows that we do. And so he told several stories here. We are very familiar with these uh, parables. We're very familiar with the parable of the prodigal son, yeah? We'll get there in a couple of weeks, but... He told these stories, Jesus did, he told stories about lost things on this particular occasion. Lost sheep, which we're going to look at in some detail this morning. Lost coin is the uh, parable, the story that follows after this. And then, not just one lost son, but I believe, as you'll see when we get there, both sons appear to be lost. And, and we'll talk about both of them in the weeks ahead. But in the meantime, lost sheep 
what is communicated here is about a gracious shepherd who goes searching when a sheep goes missing. How gracious is our God? Well, in these verses, Jesus tells this story in order to communicate God's grace. There is a context, of course, to this particular account, and and for that we need to back up into chapter 14. Great crowds have been following him, verse 25 of Luke 14 tells us. And at the conclusion, he teaches, Jesus does, about what it means to be a disciple, the, the cost of discipleship, how you need to love Jesus more than anything else on the planet. And then he concludes in verse 35 by saying, He who has ears to hear, let him hear. Listen up, is what Jesus is saying. Listen up. And we notice who it is that is listening, who it is that is drawing near in verse 1 of chapter 15. It is tax collectors and it is sinners who are drawing near. And the idea there of drawing, it was, it was, con- it was a continuous thing. They, they kept on drawing near to Jesus. It is tax collectors in the first place. They were hated by society. They were viewed as being in cahoots with the Roman government, the evil empire. They were also typically guilty of overcharging in their taxation. That was because they were trying to skim off the top, get a little bit of uh, money on the side for themselves. And so tax collectors, they were despised. They were hated by their fellow countrymen. Not only tax collectors, but sinners. They are those who lived immoral lives that were known by the people. They were publicly recognized for their sin, for for their lives which were lived contrary to the law of God. It was evident, it was known by all. Their sins were conspicuous, more conspicuous than other people's, but uh, they were sinners, and yet uh, they were also drawing near to God. Uh, Leon Morris in his commentary says that these, these were ostracized by many, the tax collectors and the sinners, They were outcasts by the religious. And yet, (coughs) excuse me, they were the ones who were drawing near. They drew near to hear him. Again, verse 35 of chapter 14. He who has ears, let him hear. And it's the tax collectors and the sinners who are drawing near to hear Jesus. It's It's a striking contrast that the tax collectors and the sinners are drawing near, but the Pharisees and the scribes are the ones who are grumbling. Grumbling. Uh, in the original language, gungasmu. It even sounds bad, right? And they were grumbling. But it presents this contrast. The, the lowest in society were doing what Jesus was teaching. They were doing what, what Jesus was instructing. Meanwhile, the religious elites, they are the ones who are grumbling. Grumbling at Jesus receiving sinners and eating with them. Eating with sinners that pointed to a welcome. And that's the receiving part. But also it pointed to fellowship. It was, it was table talk. It was they were gathering together at table to eat. It was a sign of fellowship. And so the Pharisees and the scribes, the religious leaders of the day, 
look to Jesus, and he's supposed to be a religious leader. And yet, he is fellowshipping with the riffraff, fellowshipping with these sinners and, and tax collectors. But again, these people are drawing near to hear him. They are drawing near to hear the voice of the one who spoke and the the winds and the waves became calm. This is the voice of the one who when he spoke, he drove out demons. This is the one who when he spoke, dead bodies came back to life. And they drew near to hear because this is the voice of one who speaks words of life. Words of freedom. Words of peace to their hearts and their troubled minds. And so those who are in social bondage based on their uh, particular lifestyle, troubled by their past, they're in need of spiritual healing, and they come dead in their transgressions, their trespasses, in order that they might find life. They flock to him. Those who knew their need were the ones who drew near to Jesus. The Pharisees and the scribes, they're the righteous. They're the healthy. They have no need of the physician. But the tax collectors and the sinners, they knew that they needed the life that Jesus was offering. And so they drew near. And the Pharisees and the scribes, they rightly identify what he does. He receives This man receives sinners, and he eats with them. And so, in response, verse 3, Jesus told this parable, and he begins with this lost sheep. Uh, It is Jesus in an effort to not so much vindicate himself. It will be the resurrection, which will be his ultimate vindication, Jesus. To vindicate his audience. to, To vindicate that they are right in what they are doing, in drawing near to the one who can... Free them from their bondage to slavery, to sin. In order to vindicate them, Jesus spoke this parable. He told them this parable. Who? Well, it's specifically, I think, labeled for the Pharisees and the scribes. And in fact, the way this is going, the, the final uh, part of this, uh, these, this string of parables will be about a son who's out in the field and refuses to come in and celebrate with the gracious father. And so I think it's particularly aimed at the scribes and the Pharisees. But it is true that the tax collectors and the sinners, they're drawing near to here. And so here is Jesus painting a very clear portrait of who it is, that the God that they are searching for. Or rather, better said, the God who is searching for them. And so it... It is certainly for everybody, for all people to hear, even for us today. And so he tells this uh, parable about a, uh, well, first of all, what man of you? That's how it starts off, right? Which one of you would not do this? It assumes that they all would. That if they had 100 sheep and one of them went missing, you'll leave the 99 in the open field. The the lost ones, they'll be fine in the safety of the pasture. But you... A good shepherd, assuming you are, you'll go find that one lost sheep, won't you? 
And again, he assumes that, yes, of course, they would. They would all do this. Any shepherd worth his weight in wool would do this, yes? And then when he finds it, lays it on his shoulder. Um, Notice that the the shepherd, he doesn't just begrudgingly go out and then grab hold of that. Come on, you stupid, stubborn animal, right? This is a picture of, of care. It is a picture of joy, right? He doesn't berate the, the stubborn, stupid animal. Uh, he, he doesn't uh, even raise his voice at the sheep, except to raise his voice in joy that I found my sheep. Now, we city folk, <laughs> many of us, we, we don't really know that much about uh, shepherding and, and sheep and all that. I'm right there with you, by the way. But as I understand it, um, the underbelly of a sheep is not a clean thing. And yet here is the shepherd who takes and, and he would have to put that underbelly, that dirty underbelly on his neck to carry that sheep back to the other the uh, sheep of the flock. It was uh, dirty business. And yet he's rejoicing. It is with joy that the shepherd does this. He's ecstatic. So much so that when he comes home, calls together his friends and neighbors. Got to have a party for this, right? We got to rejoice together. I, I can't keep it to myself. And this, uh, this shepherd now is, is beaming. He's grinning like a Cheshire cat, ear to ear, right? And he, he, he's got to share this joy with others. And so he calls together his friends and his neighbors, rejoice with me, for I found my sheep that was lost. We'll come back to verse 7, all right? But I want to, I want to, to show us here that what Jesus is teaching is this is the epitome of the gospel. This is the heart of the gospel. And in fact, it's tied right back to what the Pharisees and the scribes grumbled about. This man receives sinners. The preachers of that message were the scribes and the Pharisees. Very odd that his opponents, his enemies, are the ones who supply the text for the sermon. And while they meant it for evil, Jesus works it for good. From the lips of his foes comes this teachable moment. This man receives sinners. Jesus uh, doesn't deny it. He latches onto it and begins to tell them this parable. Again, their their intention was to lampoon Jesus and, and his ministry. I mean, after all, a a man is known by the company he keeps, right? Therefore, since this this man, Jesus, is keeping company with sinners, he must be a sinner as well. They were wrong about that. His entire ministry, and especially even the, the kangaroo court circus trial that he'll stand at the end of his ministry and his life, will show him to be innocent. Herod and Pilate both agree, I can't find anything wrong with this guy. Truth is, Jesus does receive sinners, but he receives them, not to leave them where they are. The shepherd takes the sheep, puts it on his shoulder, and goes back to the flock. Jesus receives sinners in order to forgive them, in order to heal them, to help them to go and sin no more. He receives sinners in order to sanctify them and make them ready for heaven with him and his Father forever. Jesus refuses no one who comes to him by faith. He is a more than willing Savior. 
to any sinner who comes to him. And he nowhere teaches that a sinner can remain in sin unrepentant. It is the sinner who repents that heaven rejoices over. Again, verse 7, just so I tell you, there is more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 righteous persons who need no repentance. It is the penitent sinner, the sinner who is brokenhearted and, and contrite in spirit that Jesus receives, that he welcomes, and yes, even that he eats with. You see, those who know they are sinners, those who feel, feel the guilt over their sin, who know they deserve the wrath of God for their sins, those who are broken in spirit and contrite in heart, these are the people who ran to Christ in his day. And I say to us today, they, sinners still run to Jesus when they realize their sinfulness. Because there's only one place that a dirty sheep can get clean. There's only one person who can supply them the forgiveness and the healing and the help to go and sin no more and the sanctification. There's only one who can make us ready for heaven and eternity with God, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Christ Jesus. And he still receives sinners today. Why does Jesus tell these parables. Or does he tell any parables, really? And I believe that the purpose of each parable that Jesus tells is to communicate what God is like. What is God like? The Pharisees and the scribes, the religious leaders of Jesus' day, they had they'd muddied the waters quite a bit about who, who God was and what he desired. And, and here is Jesus presenting God as one who goes out seeking for lost sheep. It's a revolutionary idea in his day. God is like a, a shepherd who diligently, lovingly searches every cliff and every valley seeking his lost sheep. God is seeking. He's, he is in hot pursuit of his lost sheep. He will track down his sheep and he will restore them to his fold. God went looking when we went missing. You see, every last one of us, we know in our own heart of hearts, we are sinners. We have sinned. We have fallen short of the glory of God. And by the way, that's Romans 3.23. Back up into 3 and about verse 9, verse 10. As part of the litany of verses that Paul quotes in order to prove his point that all, both Jews and Greeks, are under sin, one of the verses he quotes is Psalm 14. And it's repeated in Psalm 53. And it is specific. It says, no one seeks after God. No one seeks after God. This is why God must seek after us. We sinners... In our sin, we love our sin. Darkness hates light. People love darkness more than light. And it is why God must search out and seek for his lost sheep. Because on our own, we wouldn't do that. We wouldn't seek the shepherd. But 
God goes looking and we go missing. Jews didn't, they believed that God did rejoice, but it was more like when, you know, when a Pharisee came back. Oh, yeah, we'll rejoice over that. But these tax collectors and sinners, they actually had a, another saying. They said that there is joy before God when those who provoke him perish from the world. In other words, all you sinners, God is happy when you die. That was, that was a common notion, a common idea among the uh, Pharisees and the scribes in Jesus' day. And, and I hope you see the burden now that is placed upon the common folk by the religious leaders of the day. The burden that, that the Pharisees and the scribes had placed upon the tax collectors and the sinners in their day. That of a scowling God, a God who, he doesn't really go looking for you. In fact, you've got to work your way into his good grace if you really want it. And don't worry, we, the scribes and the Pharisees, we're the ones who will tell you how to do that. Again, Jesus presents a, a revolutionary picture here. God goes looking when we go missing. God is looking for you. And, and when he finds you, he celebrates. He's happy. He's joyful when sinners repent. There is more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents. Don't get him wrong. Don't get Jesus wrong here. The, the 99 righteous persons, God, there's still joy in heaven over that who don't need to repent. But there's more joy, Jesus says, over one sinner who repents. That's the picture that is presented here of a God who is joyful, a God who smiles, not a God who's frowning and just kind of sitting there like, when are you coming back? Expect me to go look for you? No, God knows. We would, we, no one seeks after him. He goes in search of us. And that is was good, full, good, good news in Jesus' day. It's good news in our day as well that God still goes looking for lost sheep. What is it that Isaiah says in Isaiah 53, verse 6? We all, like sheep, have gone astray. Every one of us has turned to his own way. You see, we like doing things our way. And when we do that, we venture off of God's way. It's been the truth ever since the beginning. Remember, it's one of the first questions that's asked in the Bible. It's asked by God. When Adam and Eve, after they had sinned, he goes looking for them. And he asks, where are you? And it's not a, a question of location. It's not a question where God needs information. It's a question about relation. Relationship. Where, where are you in terms of me? It is, it is God seeking confession. Not so that he can get the news and be informed. He already knows. But that we would agree with him about our condition. In Titus chapter 2, verses 11 through 14, here Paul is giving us in a very concise format the gospel. And he says, For the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation for all people, training us to renounce ungodliness and worldly passions and live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in the present age, waiting for our blessed hope, the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ, who gave himself for us 
to redeem us from all lawlessness and to purify for himself a people for his own possession who are zealous for good works. Notice, the grace of God appeared. When did that happen? When was the appearance, the manifestation of God's grace in time, space, and history? Well, Luke 15 is a good starting point. Where God the Son has come onto the grand stage of human history and he begins to preach and to teach and to show and to demonstrate the grace of God. It is the life of Christ. His life, his ministry, his death, his resurrection. The whole, the whole uh, gospel incarnate. That is when the grace of God came near. And now it is Jesus who is training us in righteousness and, and godliness. It is Christ who enables us to wait for his future appearing. Our great God and Savior. Notice that Jesus Christ is our great God and our great Savior as well. A clear, definitive statement by Paul that Jesus Christ is God, 100% fully God, and also our Savior. And notice it is Jesus who gave himself for us in our place, in our stead. Jesus took our place on the cross in order to redeem us from all lawlessness and to purify for himself a people, a flock, if you will, of sheep who all went astray. Every one of us turned to his own way. And Yahweh laid on him, the good shepherd, laid on him the iniquity of us all. Jesus not only took our place, he took our sin on the cross when he dies in our place. What's our response? Well, now that we're his, a people for his own possession, we are zealous for good works. Not to somehow, if we could even, repay God for what he's done in the cross and in Christ, but rather out of our own joy and expression of our gratitude to live a life in honor of the God who came near and who graciously took our place on the cross. Jesus calls himself the good shepherd. He also calls himself the door in John chapter 10. And so he invites us to believe and, and to come to him to enter into the door, to embrace the good shepherd, to embrace the one who laid down his life for us. You see, he came that we might have life and have it abundantly, John 10 and verse 10 tells us. The scribes, the Pharisees, they grumbled. They grumbled at just how gracious God is. A God who goes out looking for his lost sheep. Goes searching for the ones who aren't even looking for him. They grumbled at this. I would hope that this attitude never characterizes the people of God. Tragically, we know historically, it did. We know it did. These, the Pharisees and the scribes, they're supposed to be the people of God. And yet, they characterize this bitter spirit of elitism. And this bitter attitude toward sinners. No, God rejoices when lost sheep are found. What about us, brothers and sisters? What about us? We have to ask ourselves in our own heart of hearts. Do we really rejoice when God finds his sheep? No matter who they are. 
no matter what their lifestyle may have been before, when they repent and when they come to Christ and Christ receives sinners, heaven rejoices. Heaven throws a party. And if heaven does, why not us? Absolutely we should. We should rejoice. There was murmuring on earth. There was grumbling on earth. But this man receives sinners. And Jesus is working to provide a clear lens through which we see, ah, there's our God. That's what God is like. He rejoices when sinners repent. I do need to emphasize this also. There will be more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents. And the way this is written in the original language, it is not just a one-time deal where you repented and, all right, I did that, I'm good. It is a present tense uh, participle. it's, It's an ongoing thing, in other words. Sinners recognize that while we are declared righteous before God because of Christ, we're still sinners. We still battle the world and the the flesh and the devil, and we still are tempted, and we give into temptation more often than we like to admit, and we sin. But sinners repent. That's the call of the gospel. Sinners are continuously, we are constantly repenting, constantly looking at our sin and saying, I don't want to do that. I shouldn't have done that. Lord, help me. And because of Jesus, God says, forgiven, keep walking with me. Keep going. And, and, and let me help you with my spirit within you to give you the strength to overcome the temptation next time. It is a life that is consumed with, absorbed with, constantly changing our thinking so that it aligns more and more with God's word. So that I look more like Jesus today than I did yesterday. That's the call of Christ. That's the call of the gospel. What it means when it says this man received sinners. You better believe it because sinners know we're sinful and we need Jesus and we don't want to do that anymore. God, help me. I can't help myself. And God does. And heaven rejoices. And it is through this parable that Jesus seeks to bring that clear portrait of who God is. And the scribes, the Pharisees, they had They'd muddied the waters, but Jesus is bringing clarity. It's what he always does. A clear view of what God is like, of who God is, and what God does in this world. The purpose is that our lives might ultimately be brought in conformity to God's will and God's intention in all things. The scribes, the Pharisees, they, they missed it. Spoiler alert, again, they're the older brother outside in the field refusing to come in and celebrate that the younger brother has come home. And, and what they will end up doing is they will take another son of the father and they will crucify him because of their hatred of the God that he presents. But the tax collectors and the sinners, those who truly know they are sinners and that they deserve the wrath of God for sin. They're the ones who were drawing near. Wild dogs, wild horses couldn't keep them away. And every sinner today who recognizes 
their need, their deep need because of sin. Well, wild dogs and wild horses couldn't keep us away either. Let us pray. Can it be, Father, can it really be that you are this gracious? And through Christ we see, by the Spirit who inspired these words, we know that it is true. You are scandalously gracious to us sinners even today. We thank you that Christ is the one who has made it possible that that we can know you that we can come to you, that we can believe the gospel, and we can be saved of our sins. Enable us, Father, by your Spirit within us to live a life that is in conformity to the life of Christ. We pray all of this in Jesus' name. Amen. Is your life in line with the word and the will of God? Maybe you need to enter the door. You, you feel the, the pull of your shepherd who has chased you all throughout your life. And you realize that he's found you. But you need to enter the door and you need to embrace the good shepherd. You need to repent and come home. In a moment, When Russ leads us, that'll be your opportunity to come forward and express how you desire to do just that this morning. We can help you with that, my friend. If you have yet to commit or devote your life entirely to the Lord Jesus Christ, what that means for you this morning is to turn away from your sin, to confess Jesus Christ as Lord, and to be united with Christ in baptism immersed in water, have all your sins washed away by the precious blood of Jesus, raised to live this new life where you join with the rest of us sinners in a lifestyle of repentance, of constantly changing our thinking, changing our heart, changing our mind, allowing God to change us, transform us. Again, we can help you with that in just a moment. It'll be your opportunity when Russ leads us come forward. Brothers and sisters, we, we who have obeyed the gospel, we we know that this is also our time where we can do that alignment check, as it were, to, to check our hearts, to check our minds. Are we, are we aligned with the will of God? Are we in tune with it? Is there something in my life that I, I'm struggling with? I need the help that comes from God, comes from the church. Again, when Russ leads us, that's your opportunity to come forward and, and express that that's on your heart. And, and we'll surround you with love and we'll lift you up in prayer to our Father in heaven. Maybe it's something personal and you want a private setting. One of our shepherds will be available in the conference room. Just make room over there. We'll do the same thing there that we'll do here. Surround you with love. Lift you up in prayer to our Father in heaven. Maybe it's something altogether different than what we've been talking about this morning. Uh, that is weighing upon your heart. Could be something emotional or spiritual, mental, physical, what have you. The lesson is yours. The invitation is open. You can come too right now. Hope you stand. And as we sing.